morning and you don't even know what I'm going to say. This could be trouble for everybody. It's very good to be with you all again. God is good. He is. My, uh, I need some help with the terms this morning, so I'll start with maybe an easy one. Maybe it's not as complicated as the trivia, but I, I still can't figure this out. My sister-in-law's husband, is that my brother-in-law? I'm not sure, but anyway, you just think about it for a while. Get back to me later. Uh, he, he was raised in the Jewish tradition. I, I would not describe him or his family as devout in their faith, uh, but they are proud of their Jewish heritage. Um, they have two children, one boy and one girl, our nephew and niece, and uh, we were blessed to attend both of their uh, bar and bat mitzvah ceremonies. Um, the, uh, does anybody know what bar mitzvah means? It's a son of the commandments or daughter of the commandment in the case of a bat mitzvah. Um, it's, it's a great party if you go to one of these, and I, I recommend them, them highly, but uh, it really centers around the young man or the young woman reading from the Torah um, in Hebrew in front of their synagogue and all their friends and family, and it's a scroll. It's, it's for real. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, if you get the chance to go, you should go. Uh, it, you'll hear music chanted in Hebrew, uh, actual real Torah scrolls that the uh, leaders will probably let you go up and take a look at, and uh, it's, it's really cool. Uh, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into a, a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, and it's really an achievement for a 13-year-old to uh, read any foreign language, uh, much less one in public, much less one that's written right to left, much less one that has no vowels. Uh, and that is, is how it is. Um, uh, but it was, it was fascinating to me as, as a believer to see members of my family read Hebrew out loud. And, and I did a little bit of a preparation before their ceremonies to try to get some idea of the passages. They would tell us that here's the passage from the, uh, from the law or the prophets that they were going to read. And I would read ahead, but uh, it's in Hebrew, so it's, it's not quite Greek to me, but it's almost. And uh, I, I didn't know what I, w- what I would hear. But one word that I could sort of recognize that I thought I heard over and over again, uh, which we're going to talk about this morning, is uh, Adonai. Uh, and it's the God who rules. Uh, so I want to talk this morning a little bit about names in general, and then we'll talk specifically about Adonai. Uh, I, th- I think names have a lot of power. Um, it seems like they don't. Everybody's got a name. May, you, may not, you may feel like you have some power. If you're married, you know you really don't. Uh, if you have children, you, you're absolutely convinced you have little to no power, maybe some influence from time to time, but power, not so much. But I, but I would say that there is some, some, uh, some power uh, in names, and there's something to them. Uh, first of all, uh, when you name something, you're going from something abstract to a specific. And it's more powerful than it sounds. It, it's the difference between someone's going to do something this morning and Jeff's going to do something this morning. The first case is kind of, I wonder what will happen. You know, it's kind of theoretical. It's about someone I don't know. And it may not be anybody at all. Maybe, maybe someone turns out to be no one. But when it's Jeff... I, I know Jeff. I, I know something's going to happen because that's a person. Uh, and uh, the only difference in that, uh, the fact that something is now happening, is that we put a name on it. Uh, we put a name to it. The second thing 
And I'm sorry I keep turning around. The, the guys told me that in order to do this, I'd have to do a cheetah flip and point this thing behind me, and I'm just, I'm just not there yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. So I, I appreciate the grace. Names are used to draw attention. Uh, yesterday morning, they had the uh, FBI Agents Association here in the, in the Washington area held a, a golf tournament to raise money for FBI agents and staff that work at the, the Washington Metropolitan Field Office. That's kind of interesting. This particular tournament is called the Duhadway Memorial Golf Tournament. Uh, it's named after my father. It's, uh, it has my name on it now. They asked me to come and offer some words. So suddenly this random golf tournament up at the 1757 course up in uh, Sterling, beautiful place by the way, I don't know, uh, for me golf is, is much like golf was for my own father, which is uh, a good time with the guys and not much good time with the actual sport itself. But uh, it's, uh, uh, because it's got a name, uh, it, it draws your attention, it drew my attention. Uh, another way that uh, names draw attention, a personal example, I, I, I played basketball for Lake Braddock. I'm sure most of you are fans. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you, back in the days when we had high school basketball games, you'd go into the gymnasium, and whether it's uh, Robinson or West Springfield or South County, whatever, it's a loud environment when you're in, in a, a high school basketball game. When I played, it was loud not because we were any good, mind you, because we were, we were average in every possible way. Um, but it was just, it's just a high school game, but it's loud. You're out there, and I can tell you, and those of you who have been in a, a gym out on the floor in the arena, you, can't, you can barely hear one another, much less hear your coach, but there was always one thing that I could hear. There was some guy in a suit who just came home from work yelling at the top of his lungs, trying to get a word in edgewise, get in the game, David! <laughs> I heard that whole sentence. Even though my name was at the end of it, I could hear my father uh, telling me to get aggressive and do whatever it is I was not doing at the time. That list was long. Uh, but it, it's, it's just weird. But that na- the power of the name allowed me to hear my own dad more than just, and I don't, I, he was probably screaming other stuff. I didn't hear any of that. But when you put your name on the end of it, uh, it, it draws your attention. And, and I know you all know this. This comes by nature, right? If you're in a crowded area and you're trying to get your wife's attention, you're trying to get your kid's attention at school, you don't say, hey, kid in the blue shirt. No, it's, hey, Ellie. Get your attention. All right, here we go. Yes. Uh, third thing. Uh, so this is for your DC nerds uh, that, are, that are here, like me. Uh, when, when you match a name to a position, it contains power. Who here is familiar with the, uh, this is an FLA, not a TLA. So that's a four-letter acronym, not a three-letter acronym. So, uh, so this is a four-letter acronym called PTDO. Who has heard of that? Anybody here? No one has heard of performing the duties of. Okay, so if you're a, and I know Jim knows this, but there's many people in our government who are, the, the job that is in front of them, they're the next in line for succession, is empty. So they say, Harry, you're going to be moving up a spot in, in life, and you'll be performing the duties of the Secretary of Defense. That does not make Harry the Secretary of Defense. 
That just means they have somebody that has to go to attend meetings and take notes, but that individual is not allowed to say, the Secretary of Defense now declares that uh, all uniforms on Friday will involve a Hawaiian shirt. I don't recommend that, by the way. I'm not, not suggesting that. Maybe for the Space Force, but that's a different story. Sorry. That's, as an Air Force guy, who do I have to pick on, right? But, uh, but there, is, there is no power with, it, it, there is very limited power with a performing the duties of person until the Senate confirms the next Secretary of Defense. Then they are, that name, that person is associated with that job. Now, when you say Secretary Esper, now there's power. There is a name associated with a position. So elections matter, go vote. Senate confirmations matter. There's one of those coming up. Uh, and phrases like Jesus is Lord matter immensely. Okay, enough about names. Let's talk about Lord. Uh, I've put on your sheet, uh, the, uh, this is from a, a source called the Bible Dictionary, the definition of Adonai. But it's a divine name translated Lord, signifying from its derivation sovereignty. Uh, its vowels are found in the Masoretic text with uh, often next to the uh, unpronounceable uh, tetragrammaton, the four, the four letters that we've talked about, Y-H-W-H, uh, translated letter by letter. And when the Hebrew reader would come to these, ter- this, these letters in the Torah, he would always substitute the word Adonai, Lord, instead of saying uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, which I find very fascinating. I'm sorry that I missed Dallas's talk uh, last week about the name Jehovah, but it's this interesting merge between the tetragrammaton, between those four letters and Adonai, and it, it kind of shows up if you insert those vowels from Adonai into YHWH, you get, you might get Yahweh, you might get Jehovah. It's, some people say that we don't really know, but that's how it went uh, for, for people. Actually, that's how my niece and nephew would read those four Hebrew letters at their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. They would say, Adonai. That's not what was written. But the word Adonai also uh, is written. Uh, and we'll talk about some places in Scripture where it, where it does show up. Um, you will recall uh, the commandment not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And this is, this is part of the, the Hebrews taking that so seriously that uh, they won't say it. I, I, I had a, uh, my first boss at the Pentagon was a lieutenant colonel. He was Jewish as well, and he would uh, sign farewell letters uh, instead of saying, God bless you, he would write G hyphen D, bless you, because he didn't even want to write the word God on a piece of paper for fear that if that piece of paper would be thrown away, that would be considered offensive. We've somehow thrown away the name of God and violated the commandment. So it's not, uh, you know, this, this notion of, I'm not sure I want to say that name out loud isn't as maybe weird or ancient as you might think. There's a popular children's book series that has a character feared so much by the other characters in this series that they won't say that individual's name. They refer to him as the the one who must not be named. Uh, But more to the point today, um, this concept of Lord for us, uh, of Adonai, is also a strange concept. Um, And why do I say that? Um, we, We... encounter very few people in our lives that have absolute, absolute control, right? I mean, we can always go to our 
private place for you married guys, right? Just, what are you doing? Nothing. That's, and that's a good place, right? I mean, you, anybody else have a private place and just, you know? So that's, so maybe I don't have absolute control. Of, my wife doesn't have that over me, but, uh, but really as Americans, especially as men, nobody's got absolute control, right? No one is the supreme master you know, even if I think the president is all that in a bag of chips, he's possibly gone the next election, and the new guy behind him could be gone in four years or sooner. Uh, I mean, there's, we don't have a, a king or, or queen. Uh, the, the word Lord might be somebody who is able to dominate another person. Um, you know, that, you know, to us, it sounds kind of creepy, if anything. Um, it might be somebody who is uh, skilled at a particular uh, profession, and we don't necessarily call that person Lord, but that might be somebody that they uh, would use the phrase Lord for. Um, but uh, we uh, maybe getting closer to the mark, a, a someone who is a governor might be considered Lord. But again, we don't we don't address people in that in that term. We don't we don't say uh, Lord Northam. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's very un-American. That now, if you're over in, in the United Kingdom or other places like that, that's a, a term of office and other kinds of things. But for us, uh, there's one term that I think comes close uh, that maybe some of you haven't encountered that also incorporates the term uh, Lord, and that is landlord. So I'm going to go spend just a minute here for a second uh, just to talk a little bit about landlords. Um, the difference between an owner and a renter, right? When you're the renter, your responsibility level is significantly different than if you're the owner. You know, if you are the uh, renter, there are some things that you say, hey, this is broken, you have to come fix it for me. Or there's some things that you can't do because you're not the owner. I think this kitchen is ugly. I'm going to change it. You can't change it because you're not the owner. Uh, and then if you look at it from the other side, if you're the owner, when your tenant calls you and says, hey, there's a problem, you got to move. You, you have that responsibility as the owner. Uh, you, um, it, it, you know, ownership is more than simply freedom. You know, if, you're, uh, if you own a car, you are free to drive it anywhere, uh, but uh, you've got to uh, maintain it and register it and drive it safely or your freedom will come to a very quick end. Um, when you're a, uh, a renter, you don't necessarily have to uh, deal with everything yourself. So when we consider the concept of Lord, if you can't get there in any of these other terms that, that come from the term Lord, think of a landlord. Think of, I'm not the owner. I'm just a tenant. I'm a steward. All right. We're going to finish with some examples of Adonai in Scripture. Um, these are times in Scripture when you see what is uh, written as oftentimes Lord God, if you recall that, that kind of phrase. Um, first is in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 15. God is asking, telling, advising. Uh, the owner is telling the tenant, you're going to be the father of a nation, of many nations. You are going to do all these things that the tenant thinks, I don't, I know a couple of things about how generations are made, and I think there might be a problem. 
Lord. <laughs> but you're the Lord. You are the landlord. I am the tenant. This is not my problem, if you will. You're going to have to intervene. Uh, and so Abram's choice of words in uh, Genesis 15, verse 2, when he says, O Lord God, O Adonai Jehovah, or Adonai Yahweh, what will you give me since I am childless? He's appealing to the landlord. Not just acknowledging him that he's God and has, has told him to pick up and move, but now he's gotten to that point where he's absolutely stuck and, and without the intervention of the Lord, of the Adonai, there, there won't be anything, anything further. Um, second example will be in Exodus chapter 4. Here we see, I would describe this as more of just kind of uh, the, the ancient language when Moses is referring to someone more powerful as Lord, but he's referring to God as Lord as well. Uh, he has, uh, Moses in this case, has been asked to give a talk in front of some people, a lot. Uh, this is not what he feels he is equipped to do. Um, and so he, again, has gotten to that point in life where he needs the landlord to step in. I, I'm not gonna be able to, to do this, but I acknowledge you, Adonai Yahweh, as the Lord. I know you can do this, uh, and I know that you will not only deliver us, but you will empower me, enable me to do the things that you have asked me to do. One has to do with deliverance and salvation of deliverance of the people from Egypt. The other has to do with being empowered, equipped to do the specific things that God has, has asked him to do. And in order for Moses to experience that, he has to submit to the lordship to Adonai in order to allow that to happen. Our third example comes from the book of Judges, Gideon. So if you looked at chapter 6, you will see again where he uses the word Adonai. Gideon says to him, my, oh my Adonai, if Yahweh is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, uh, did not Yahweh or Jehovah bring us up from Egypt, but now... Yahweh has abandoned us. Uh, but this is Gideon appealing to not just Jehovah God, but to the Lord God. In other words, and re recall what happened with Gideon. Again, Gideon was told, You're, I need you specifically to do this, and I need you to do it with a whole lot less resources than you think you need. Uh, and, and you're going to do the selection of people in a very strange way too, oh, by the way. But if I'm going to uh, fight this fight with only a small amount of men, I can't do this. I, I, need, I need somebody to give me the power, somebody to be that master, you know, demonstrate your mastery over creation, demonstrate how you are able to be God in a way that is, to be Adonai, to be, in other words, demonstrate your lordship over this. And Gideon walked out in obedience and was faithful in that way. 
You see this in many other places in the Bible as well. God invites him to do more. Um, and uh, he has to, uh, the individual in question has to submit to God's lordship over their lives. Um, lastly, I'll, I'll leave you with the words of uh, Luke. Uh, I'm not a big um, believer in, in coincidences. Um, I think a lot of these um, things that happen to us in life are divinely appointed, and it just so happened. The reading that I had after uh, uh, my day yesterday was from Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and I'm sorry I didn't write this down because God just revealed it to me last night, but it's Luke chapter 46. Jesus is talking about uh, builders and foundations. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then here's the rest of the story. Why, why should you care? Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And then he, he ends with the, the opposite. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundations. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So here's the question. Have you asked God to be your Savior, but not your Lord? When you hear people thank God, maybe some of these NCAA champions did it. Maybe some of them had the courage to say, I want to give my thanks first and foremost to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's great to have a Savior, but don't be afraid to acknowledge Adonai as your Lord. He can be trusted. He can. Okay, here's your discussion questions for you. And I apologize to the guys online. I tried to send out a couple of the handouts to a couple people. We'll try to get these handouts to you uh, digitally if we're not doing that. But, uh, but here's the questions. In your own words, what's the difference between Savior and Lord? And then what area in your life is God challenging you to accept him as Lord? I'll pray for us and then we'll go. Father God, we're grateful uh, not only for your salvation, but we know that, that you are also Lord. You are Adonai. You are the owner of all. We are stewards. We are just the tenants. Help us, Lord. Help us, uh, especially those of us men who feel like we have to do and control and, and rescue ourselves, rescue us from that, that functional atheism that says, if it if it's must be, it's down to me. It's not down to me. It's down to you, Lord. Give us your grace this morning as we discuss how we can uh, submit completely to your lordship over our lives. And it's in Jesus, our Lord's name we pray. Amen. God is good.